got him into the police. You see, James Monroe had lost his job. That might seem to be a strange time to celebrate someone, but think about it. When else would someone need more of a pick-me-up? So the date was set for a dinner party that brought together the usual suspects. Donald Swanson was there. So was Frederick Aberline. James Monroe was the guest of honor, surrounded by eight other officers from the top of Scotland Yard. And Melville McNaughton hosted them all. Monroe was done with policing for now. Like Charles Warren, James Monroe had resigned. The struggle to administer the police under a controlling home office was more than he could take, especially when all the forces that wanted to use the police to literally beat the London poor into their place were winning the argument. When he left his post, James Monroe had served as Metropolitan Police Commissioner for the shortest time on record. But what does a police commissioner do when he leaves his position of enormous power in the world's largest city? He sets his sights on the place where he has learned his craft, and he decided to go back to India. He would be welcome, he said, as a medical missionary. And Monroe wasn't the only officer to turn his mind back to the horizon of the empire. Charles Warren, too, returned to something familiar, the British Army. But for Warren, it didn't mean a return to his former glory. Far from it. Instead, it took him to an even worse mess than his failure to capture the Whitechapel killer. Here's Paul Begg to tell us more. Warren, unfortunately, after he resigned, he was sent out to fight abroad. There was a battle at, at a place called Spion Cop, and it was an absolute disaster. And that's basically stuck with Warren uh, and has damaged his reputation for the rest of his life and right down to today. And Drew Gray agrees. 11 years after the Ripper case, serving in the South African War, what's sometimes known as the Boer War, and he has to lead the assault on Spy and Cop, which is an unmitigated military disaster. And I think it's interesting that Paul Begg describes him as a man to whom fate certainly dealt two cruel hands. Leadership of the police during the Ripper case, which is probably impossible for them to solve, and leadership of soldiers at the Battle of Spy and Cop, where they were rudely defeated by the Boers. In fact, at Spion Cop, the troops under Warren's command were absolutely massacred. His lines were ripped apart by Boer artillery that his own officers couldn't locate on the battlefield. In fact, that's his own small contribution to history, an early use of what came to be known as indirect artillery fire. Warren saw his men torn apart, but he couldn't see where the attack was coming from, so he didn't know how to respond. It was a cruel irony that wasn't the first time an unidentified attacker worked devastation before his eyes. The battle was such a disaster that Warren was even called arguably the most incompetent commander of the whole Second Boer War. And those criticisms bit deep. For a man who had dedicated himself to advancing Britain's imperial power, he couldn't stand to have failed so spectacularly again. In 1888, Warren had attempted to refute the criticism of the Metropolitan Police by publishing his ill-fated article in Murray's magazine. After costing thousands of British lives at Spion Cop, he answered his critics in a book he entitled Sir Charles Warren and Spion Cop, A Vindication. He changed his approach this time, though. He published this self-congratulatory rant under a false name. He made sure to quote the best things the Home Secretary ever said about him, that Charles Warren was a man not only of the highest character, but of great ability. Looking back, it might have been more convincing if it was someone else reminding the reading public that this had ever been said about Charles Warren. Donald Swanson also found his later reputation tied up with the violence and the excesses of the British Empire in South Africa. 
although his role was something like the opposite of Warren. In fact, Swanson had done everything he could to avoid the conflict that later led to Warren's disgrace. Take, for instance, his role in prosecuting what became known as the Jameson Raid. Here's Adam Wood to fill us in. Basically, in 1895, Diamond Magnet and British nationalist Cecil Rhodes, who had been basically annexing large areas of South Africa, had